what I've seen from the people who've built billion dollar companies or just massive companies is almost all of them. It was, it's interesting, but almost all of them started in internet marketing hmm. and then they, they make this pivot where they just get in this better vehicle that just can scale. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. If you're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Travis Makes Friends. Today, I am stoked to be making friends with Tanner. Chittister. What's up, bro? What's up, man? Hey, you said the last name perfect, by the way. Hey, thank you. I've seen enough of your ads to know. <laughs> hey, I'm 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 Tanner Chittister. Yeah. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah, so so it's stuck in it's stuck in my mind, man. It's stuck in my mind. No, I appreciate you coming on. I know this is like a super quick, you know, Vegas trip. And so here we are in our little makeshift in-home studio at the moment. And bro, I've been been looking forward to chatting with you for a little while. I know we have a bunch of mutual friends and stuff schedules and things like that haven't haven't lined up. So I'm glad we're able to make this one happen. So for those who don't know you, we're going to rewind the clock a little bit and I want to get some big context here. So you were just telling me you got a big family of six brothers and sisters, yeah. so seven of you total. And then you're telling me a little bit about your home life. So I want to, I want the audience to, to hear that as well. I want to dive in on some of those specifics. So let's rewind the clock. Let's say nine, 10 year old Tanner Chittister, you know, set the scene for us. Where, where sure. were you in life? What was happening? Yeah, so I grew up in Houston. I was born in Utah, actually. I was born in Sandy. A lot of people don't know that. Okay. I was raised LDS or Mormon. My dad, you know, was equivalent of a preacher. Kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hence the seven <laughs> kids, yeah. Uh, my dad was equivalent of what most people consider like a preacher. So he's been, okay. for anyone who's LDS or Mormon, it's a little different, but, you know, it's bishop. a bishopric, I think presidency and stuff like that. And I had two older sisters and I had two younger brothers and two younger sisters. So growing up, I guess you'd say I was kind of a strange kid because my parents were very conservative. I never heard a cuss word until I think I was eight or nine. Played tea parties with my sisters. So around the age you're talking about, I was getting bullied a lot. And so one day after I realized they were bullying me, I went home to my parents around 12 years old and I said, hey, I want to start working out. And I told them some BS, but I just want to, I want to kick their ass. I mean, that was really, yeah. I was done with it. Yeah, yeah. And I started working out. My parents would take me to the gym about 5.30 a.m., I'm 12. Yeah, 12. And then they drop my sisters. in Texas or in Utah? Texas. Okay. Texas. And they drop my sisters off at Bible study. And then I'd work out and they pick me up. I'd go to first period, which was gym. And then I'd get a shower. So after about three months, you know, you're going through puberty and, you know, you get newbie gains. People started giving me compliments. And I was like, okay, that was the first time I had like a positive reinforcement for working through something difficult. And so that really set the stage, I think, for me, where I really got serious about sports because I think, one, I I enjoyed what happened, but two, I was good at it. And so really from 12 to 22, I was just all about sports. I yeah. mean, the way I attack business now, I I remember going into my sophomore season, being on varsity, there's like one to three guys who make varsity as a sophomore. So it was like this huge deal. And I trained nine hours a day all summer and I made the varsity. And what, I, what sport? A football. 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 Yeah. And I still remember I would train. I was still a two-sport athlete, but I did three hours of basketball, three hours of running, three hours of lifting hmm. every day the whole summer. And so I just kept getting these positive reinforcements of like, if you put in the work, if you put in the work, if you put yeah. in the work. 
So I took that as far as I could go until I was about 22. I did get to play some Division One football. I got hurt a lot. I don't think I was good enough on top of that, but I, I couldn't even stay healthy. And so around that time, I met a guy, you might, you probably know him, David Fry. And you don't, okay. So he married Russell Brunson's cousin, okay. right? And so he comes to me and at this time, I had some falling out with my parents, won't get on with that, but I had a fall with my parents and I stopped kind of going to church and he really wanted me to go back to church. And that's how this started. And he said, hey, look, you know, what's your goal? And I said, I want to make a bunch of money. And he's like, well, that's not going to happen with engineering, which is what I was studying. And I had good grades, but he just laid it out for me. So he said, look, drop out of school, uh, start going back to church. And if you do, then like, I'll show you everything I know about business. And he built some seven figure online businesses. So I drop out. Pretty much everyone was against me. My girlfriend broke up with me because of it. <laughs> Her mom obviously was not happy. My family, it was kind of a mix, I think. They were happy they didn't to like, see you back in church. They, yeah, that type of thing. yeah, they didn't put me down, but I don't think they thought it would work. And so now I'm about 22. And for the next two years, I don't really make any money, but I learn how to build funnels and how mm. emails work and pixels and just all the kind of little things you need to know, in my opinion, to run a good business, at least online. And I finally get to a point where I say, hey, I appreciate you, but I need to go live my life. I'm 23. So I go back up to Utah where some of my family is and I start working as a server and doing door to door sales. You know, Utah's oh, big on that. Right. So nice. I actually sold for Alder. OK. And uh, competitor to Vivint, right. Yeah. They're their competitors and stuff. Yeah, and impressive. but I'm still not making money. So I'm learning. I'm doing these things. And in hindsight, I think it prepared me for this moment. But at the time, I just feel I'm going backwards. Right. Yeah. So now I'm 25 and we're actually out selling alarms. And yeah. I've already been out there maybe six months because I went out early. I went out in like February and I looked down at my phone. I remember to this day, I looked down. I don't know what caused it, but I looked down. I looked at my bank account and I just remember thinking, I have the same amount of money now that I had three years ago. Oof. And it was just, it just was this kind of realization. This isn't working. Right. And so that day I called my mentor, I said, look, if this, if something doesn't happen soon, I got to go back to school. Like I'm 25, man, I'm a loser. Like this isn't working. And I was embarrassed, you know, yeah, like, yeah. cause I'm killing myself to try to get this thing to work, but I didn't know how. So I see an ad on Facebook, how to start an online fitness business. And at this time I didn't really have social media that much. And I didn't, I don't even think I really got on. I just thought it was stupid. Yeah, yeah. And, and I still kind of put that way. It's just with business now, you kind of need it, <laughs> yeah. right? And so I click on this ad, I get on the call, high pressure sold me, didn't know what even high ticket sales were. I had two grand in my account. Give him everything, put the rest on a credit card. I had to apply for one. I didn't even have a credit card at 25. Crazy. And I remember going in the program and the first three videos I watched, I'm just like, bro, what did I do? This is like just emotional fluff. Yeah. Like, I don't care. I don't, I didn't need that. I, I felt like at least. Yeah. So I just asked the coach, dude, just tell me what to do, please. He goes, okay, just message people, get them on a call and close them. And I was like, that's it. He's like, yeah. I was like, this is what I paid. Okay. Yeah, it's so yeah. stupid. And 5,000 at the time 5, for context, 000, anyone yeah. listening, that probably felt like 100,000. Right yeah, totally. Like it was it was a chunk of change where I'm like, okay. I start doing it and I made 10K in a week. And I call my parents, I'm like, hey, I figure this out. I'm going to move home. Let me pay you so a little fitness bit. Fitness coaching. Yeah, fitness coaching is like, let me pay you a little bit, but like I'm going to come home. So I go home and I just, I don't come out of my room for a year. I, I remember I would go three, four weeks not see my dad <laughs> because I was so dedicated and he would come home and I'd be asleep or I'd be working, whatever. And a year later, I'd done a million dollars. And then all these trainers started asking me for help. That's when I got my first ClickFunnels award, which, I, you know, it still is. But at the time, especially like, wow, like, and this yeah. guy doesn't sell like business coaching, right? It was right. different. And, and at I, the time, there was 
frankly, just fewer people. Like, yeah. I'm not a war, right? This yeah. Is this? Yeah. I think five years ago, it was like 2017-ish. Yeah. And I remember these trainers started lining up. I said, hey, man, like, I don't really like doing this. You know, I paid a couple coaches where, you know, they scammed me or screwed me. Sure. And I have a better take on it now, you know, obviously, but yeah, it didn't work out. And I said, Hey, I don't want to do it, but they kept asking. So finally I had about 150, $200,000 of people just on a waiting list. Like, Hey, we'll pay you 10 grand. I was like, you know, I'm 26. I'm like, like I got to take this money. So I started doing it and that goes hyperbolic that year I did 10 million and I worked even more. I mean, wow. I just had no life. I'll be honest with you. Like I had no life. So your first full year was a million. Yeah. And then your second full year, was or was 10. this like three? So no, the second like year was million 10. To 10. It went one to 10. It was crazy. And that that was that was probably the hardest year I've ever had because just the jump was so massive. Yeah, no kidding. That's and then a after, completely different business anatomy. Yeah, it was an, it was crazy. And I mean, the the trainer, the trainer business just, I mean, like first month, it was like 300 grand. Wow. You know, and I was like, holy shit. And then just, you know, I'm more to play with the margins are bigger, a little more sure. expensive. And and it matters with that because you're like, hey, I can spend another two grand to get a customer. Right. That changes the game. So the third year, we open up to what is Elysios now because in my head, hey, if I go general, we get a little more. And we did. We went to 15 million. Now, I, in hindsight, I wonder if I should have done that. Hmm. But I think in general, basically, you teach any online. Yeah. So the same principles, just yeah. less specific to, to fitness, fitness right yeah. so like if i'm teaching a messaging it's not just fitness messaging it's like different examples mm -hmm. and i think now in hindsight looking back there's pros and cons to both but i think staying niche down long term there's advantages to that easier fulfillment easier you know to like scale the same thing over and over but my mindset now of where i am because i stepped out of the company about two months ago is what I've seen from the people who've built billion dollar companies or just massive companies is almost all of them. It was, it's interesting, but almost all of them started in internet marketing hmm. and then they, they make this pivot where they just get in this better vehicle that just can scale. Yeah. And that was actually super interesting to me because I say, yeah, how'd you start? Oh yeah, I did SEO. Oh yeah. I ran an ad agency. Yeah. And so I think now that I'm on the other side, I have, I have five companies I own now and then just also consulting, you know, like tens of thousands of clients is it really does matter what the vehicle is hmm. and the marketing is important but if you can mix like internet marketing type skills with a really good offer hmm. in a strong market that's growing and yeah. yeah yeah and that's where it blows up and so that's been very interesting to see now that i'm on the other side because at first elite CEOs peaked out like one of our highest months was right under two million and since that time we've been in that kind of like one to 1.5 million range and I would get so mad because, man, like, why can't we scale more? Like, I'm spending enough on the ads, the costs are going up. Like, why optimizing? But you just get to a point with certain offers. It's just, it's just the nature of the beast. And I yeah. think an easy way for to describe it is if you is streamlining the fulfillment. And so, why tech? Why people get so crazy for tech is because it's easy to streamline. Mm -hmm. With service, you get Jill who's a six, Tom who's a two, George who's a ten, you know, Rob who's a three, and so. The issue is not necessarily the product. It can be, right? But let's say your product's as good as you can make it. They're all going to get different results. And so therefore, you don't kind of get that stacking over time or that same result, which is what creates that crazy word of mouth. That's at least my opinion. And that's why, you know, Jim launched when Mosey scaled that, why I think he did so well is the least of these, the worst clients he got could still make yeah. 30K in a month or whatever it was. Right. And that's what changed it for him, I think. So yeah, the client results, like, for somebody who's not 
I mean, he had a SaaS business, but somebody who's not known as somebody being in SaaS, he right. talks a lot about product market fit. Yeah. Which he obviously worked on a lot. And I don't think he knew it was going to get that big. Like I asked him yesterday, I was like, do you know? Was he... Yeah. But well, he... I mean, I think it's pretty like in his story, it seems clear just because it's like, I was worried about being bankrupt. And then six yeah. months later had crossed whatever, $3 million in, in sales or whatever. And yeah. it was like, when you're in the bankrupt mode, your mind isn't thinking about how can I build a billion dollars? At all, at you're all. You're thinking about like, uh, how do I like Starts not lose my entire reputation and have to like completely get rid of all of my shit? And, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're, thinking, you're thinking about what happens tonight, not what happens in 12 years from now, yeah, you know? Uh, you said something like earlier, bro. I don't, I just don't want to gloss over it. And I know I'm backtracking quite a bit here. You were talking about when you were 12 and the first, it was the first time that you received like positive recognition for putting in hard work and seeing a result happen. And when you said that, it made me think about how many people, probably the percentage of the U.S. population in, in terms of a percentage, what percent would say that they still have not had that a even lot. into their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, their a 60s. Lot. And I know from you, it came from you had a chip on your shoulder. It was like people are making fun of me and, you know, fuck those people. I'm going to show them what's up. I'm going to go work out and I'm going to stay consistent at this thing. I'm going to work hard. Even if, even if it means I have to get up earlier and I got to go to the gym before gym class, I'm going to do it because yeah. fuck them. Do you think that you have to have something like that? Or like if you are somewhat comfortable or maybe, you know, you're in a situation where people aren't making fun of you, you don't have the chip on your shoulder. Maybe your parents are wealthy or, you know what I mean? Like, can you create this type of artificial chip to make you, to make you want something bad enough to put in the work? Cause I fully, fully agree that it's, it's a necessary like notch that you have to put in your confidence belt to teach you that if, if I do this, I can achieve this. Yeah, I think it's rare. I'm sure there's someone out there because whenever you say never, it only takes one. That's sure. True. But almost everyone I've spoken to who has been ultra successful, they have some type of story where things don't go their way or they're up against something. So the one reason I fell in love with fitness is you can see the results. So it took me three months. And during those three months, I'm like, man, maybe I should stop. I'm not really getting bigger. But after those three months, like consistently, my muscles were growing and then people gave me that feedback. I was like, oh, so this could work in grades and girls and whatever. People just can't see it. So to your point, I think the hard thing is no one's going to look at you and say, Travis, wow, you worked so hard today. I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> no one sees that. But that's what's hard is I think I think for me as a kid, getting that positive reinforcement on the workout where people could see the visible results. I, in my head, it was like it clicked. I was like, oh, hmm. like if I do this in other things, I'll get the same result. I do think it's hard to, it's like playoffs. I think it's very hard to artificially try to create something that's not there. So I had friends who were very wealthy. Yeah. And um, they just haven't done as well as me. Hmm. And and that's not to say, that doesn't even mean the way I live life is the right way. Trust me, I'm. It's, it's the more I'm living, the more I realize it just really doesn't matter and it really has to be what you want to do and a lot of people just don't really care and so but to that point they didn't do as well because what i saw is when i went to my dad and i said dad i need something he's like no nah, like you're on your own man yeah good luck yeah. those parents would give them money and i'd see him like they can't hey i need a hundred bucks you know for cookies i remember they were like yeah dad i'm getting cookies and he's like what a hundred bucks for cookies and they obviously weren't for cookies yeah but i'm sitting there going dude my dad's never given me a dime <laughs> he told me at 14 i needed to get a job he's like oh can i was like can i go to the movies he's like well do you have a job i was like no he's like i just can't go and he walked off <laughs> hey. 
And that was kind of my, that was kind of my upbringing. I hated him at the time, but as I got older, it really taught me that like no one can save me. Yeah. And I think yeah. that it, it made me kind of bitter, but at the same time, it, it created kind of that drive yeah. to be successful. And even to this day, that's part, you know, sometimes people are like, hey, bro, you got to chill, but it's part of who I am now. Yeah. Because it's that kind of drive to prove that you are worth something, that you can do it. Mm -hmm. So to your question, I do think it's tough for some people because, yeah, like no one's going to give you that. And, and especially when it comes to business or music or like things that are intangible, no one's going to, again, like look at you and say, that working so hard you deserve it yeah and that's yeah. the hard here's part here's everything is, you want on a silver platter yeah and so i think i think once i got it in fitness it was easier to transition to business and other things that people couldn't see because i knew it was the same principle and i didn't need that reinforcement yeah. anymore but I, i'll be honest as a young kid who's struggling and being bullied and has low self-confidence i mean that did change the trajectory of my life yeah for sure. i think that that's a necessary step in building confidence and i don't think i don't think that you can run into anybody with any certain level of success in life no matter what field, industry, if you're talking about money or if you're measuring if something different, they all have a base level of confidence. Even if it's mixed with some insecurity, they are still confident about something. Right. So that shift for you was that initial like, oh, if I do what I say I'm going to do every day. Like the results follow. Even though there's pain. At some point, it's going to be a good thing that I did that. And I'm going to be happy that yeah. I did that. And it teaches me that I know that now I can go do that in something else. Yeah, and I think, I th I don't remember where I heard it, but they talk about you have the insecurity that you're not good enough, but you have the confidence that you can do it. And that's where that drive comes from because mm. you you believe you can do it, but you're like, you're, you're like, can I? Like, can I? And I think that's a trait of very successful people because the dumbest people I know think they know everything and successful people, they know a lot, but they still realize how much they don't know. And I, I really learned that specifically when I was doing petroleum engineering, I was taking, I think it was six mass, six mass, excuse me, above Cal three. Hmm. And I'm, I was like sitting there, I'm like, there's not a damn number on my worksheet. You know, that's all letters, you know, and it's supposed to be math class. And, and that th those are moments like that too, where it just really, you just really, you build this confidence because you've done these hard things, but then you also kind of get humbled a little bit and you realize you're human and how much you don't know. And yeah. that, I think that's kind of like breeze that success because you kind of realize, hey, there's all these things I don't know, but like I've done these hard things before and you almost want to prove to yourself that you can do it because that's the reward. The money just doesn't, I can't even tell you, I just don't really care anymore. And yeah. it's, and it kind of was sad for me for a little while because I, I mean, it took me six months going through some hard stuff to like figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And yeah. even now I, I am, but I kind of came at peace with it where before my goal was to hit a million a month and then I hit that. And when that's your whole goal in life and you hit it, your life's over. That That's yeah. kind of tough. Yeah. It's a weird point to come to, especially because like, what are you, 31? 31. 31. So it's not like chilling now. You know what I mean? Like this is most people's prime earning years is like yeah. 30 to 50, yeah. you know, 35 to 45, maybe more condensed. So like you still have a few years to go before you're even in like prime you know, yeah. net worth expansion years. And you're already at the point where you're like, oh, well, I don't really have to work. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, that's and, a weird position to be. Well, yeah. And just, and just, you know, an extra 50K, 100K to the average person is a lot, but you're it's like, life changing. It's not, yeah, but you're lot. like, hey, if I replace yeah. myself and put this guy in, I pay him 30, 40 grand a month and I do nothing, that's still better than, you know, doing it. It's yeah. just, it's a weird place to be. And it does feel weird. Like I was telling you before we even went live, 
you know, you almost feel bad as it almost feels elite. <laughs> you're getting these checks, but you're not doing much and your team's working really hard. It feels weird. Yeah. But hey, that's, I mean, that's the beauty of business though, so, right? I guess I paid like, your dues, right? I mean, that's yeah, one thing. I'm like, right. at, at the end of the day, I do sit there. I'm like, well, I've right. done every job in the company. And so. I was going to say, your team wouldn't be working that hard yeah. if they didn't see you do that already. I you know what I mean? Like I they, that think they have to, that, you know, tens aren't going to work for a five. Correct. You know, so like, if you, if you want tens working for you, then you got to become a 10 yourself, you know? But yeah, dude, I, I can appreciate, can appreciate where right now you're just kind of in this mode of, well, I guess we'll, I guess we'll kind of take this day by day and see what comes out of it. So I know that you've kind of been purposefully seeking out advice from people who are kind of at that quote unquote next level. So for you now, is it in your goals to build like a billion dollar company? Like where are you, where are you thinking you're going to end up? It's like I flip flop on it. Like I'd like to, I'd like to do it to prove I could do it. Hmm. Right. But I don't know if that's a good enough reason to go down that path. Yeah. There's two sides of the coin. I mean, the harder you push in one direction, then it's going to pull you farther away from somebody else. And so, you know, for example, if I build a billion dollar company, it's going to push. I mean, you're going very hard that direction. Mm. It's, you know, it's one of the pinnacles of life that you could probably say you did. So I'm back and forth because part of me, I'm a very driven person. I like having purpose. And I like having goals at the same time. Now, looking back and reflecting, you know, you sacrifice a lot to even get to this point. <laughs> Because what the way I live now, it feels normal, but I always have to kind of be reminded like, hey, dude, like what you're doing isn't really normal. Like most people wouldn't consider that normal. Yeah, you know, it feels normal to me. I'm going back and forth, but I think regardless at some point, I, I, I do feel the desire. I'm going to need to do something else. I can't just chill forever. Sure. Yeah. And so right now it kind of feels nice, but I'm, I'm nearing it's about the two month mark because I really didn't start traveling until February. And um, it's going to fade, you know, like anything, it gets old, right? You keep mm. eating the same stuff, you keep going the same places, it gets old. So I think so. I've been asking questions with that in mind. Whatever I do, do next, I want it to be very high ceiling. Yeah. Internet marketing is great. And, and I think on one hand, people like they praise it too much. On the other hand, I think they talk down on it too much. I think it's one of the building blocks yeah. you need. But yeah, I've talked about 30 to 40-ish people at this point who sold companies for nine or 10 figures. And the similarities has been interesting. I, I would say that like seeing the patterns across the board is what's been the most interesting to me. Yeah. What are some of those patterns? Well, first, I think I told you this as well. A lot of them who sold for over a billion quickly and bootstrapped, which is even more impressive. Yes, it you is. Know, the VC game to me is just, they just it's, make numbers up. It's weird. They just it's, make stuff up. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And so to guys like you and me, I don't understand. I, I just, I'm like, you guys are just making shit up. This, like, Here's the valuation, but like, how much does it make? Yeah. Okay. That doesn't make sense yeah. to them because there's no money. <laughs> yeah. My valuation is lower than yours. Well, I it's, make more. it's currently losing 30 million a year. But yeah. It's in 14 years. If it, our numbers are right, it's so it weird. Might turn a profit. Yeah. It's so weird to me. And they just go billionaire bus. So, yeah. The thing right. I don't well, that's, like, that's the game. I think why I won't that's go VC is because the, the person who loses is the CEO because one out of 10 work. And if you're, you know, nine, one of those nine CEOs, you give five to 10 of your years of your life and they're, they're gone. Right. Well, um, and you have that, I don't know, dude, it's, it's, it almost feels like a, a burden because even if you raised $200 million, but you went bankrupt, it's like, yeah, you had a team of 
you know, 3000 people that were depending on you to figure something out and you yeah. couldn't quite piece it together well, before and, you ran out of money. And there was no way that you could get yeah. that infrastructure up. It was just like, it's irresponsible spending. Yeah. Well, and you, you and know? you have to answer to people. So it was interesting because yesterday, you know, someone who's very affluent and I'm good friends with, he said, people are asking like, Hey, you should run a private equity firm. We'll give you 200 million. And he's like, bro, I don't need the money. And he's like, then I have to answer to people. Yeah. He's like, the whole point of making money is to be free. And I, I thought that was actually very interesting. Yeah. And I, so I think to your point, going back to the guys who built billion dollars and bootstrapped is one, they usually have, or and girls, they usually had internet marketing background, hmm. right? Which was interesting. I And I saw that over and over because a lot of people are like, oh, internet marketing. But I'm like, it, it's actually a great way to learn the basics of business. Sure. Because you can beat people in marketing and sales, which is important once you have a good offer. But then the second thing was just zero fulfillment. So as close to zero fulfillment as possible. So the two guys specifically, Justin Hartfield, who basically built a Yelp for weed. Okay. So the fulfillment is use our site, done. That was a fulfillment. There's nothing. And then the second one was Byte, which was a competitor to Invisalign. But he's like, hey, they suck at all these things. I'm just going to go in and beat them at the game. And he did. And their cost of acquisition was about five times cheaper. They have better customer support, better. Wow. They have some of the best reviews I've seen anywhere. I, I don't, it's like, I don't know if they're paying them or something, but I've never seen so many good reviews for a company. And then they had a better sales team. And so that's been the most interesting thing is, is in internet marketing, at least in my companies now, they make a lot of cash flow. Mm -hmm. They do, but the bottleneck is the fulfillment mm -hmm. because that, that's what makes it so difficult to scale. And just the nature of what you're selling is, it's info, right? And so it's harder, like you can still make your case, but it's harder than like, all right, these are braces. Like, okay, like this is an app. Like sure. even even Uber, it goes, it's not, it's negative right now, but you see the value. It's like, it's a, it's a cheaper taxi, right? Yep. At least for now. Might, I think it's starting to get too expensive. I might go back to taxi soon, but. Uh, it really is. Because yeah, I think, I think, yeah, there's, no, I think they finally got to make some money. Right. I exactly. think they underpriced it. And now they're going, hey, we haven't made money in 10 years. We got to start becoming profitable. And so I think, they're actually going the other direction. Where and their people, drivers need more money. Like there's more. Yeah, man, I there. think I think they're about to run into a problem where taxis like people are going, why don't I just use a taxi now? Right. That was the whole that was what made it so nice is it yeah. was convenience and it was cheaper. And yeah. now it's going the other direction. And, but And there was some I know this is a photo rabbit trail, but like recently, <laughs> recently, the quality of the cars is like I just upgrade them all the time now. I just now all the time it's it's on it's black or XL or Lux or like something because. If I just do the regular cars, it's like, oh, this, well, this is, this is like a taxi. Like it's a crappy old car that's dirty. It's like one of the reasons I used to do Uber is that it, they had a quality, they had a standard that they had set. And now like that standard's kind of going away. It's almost as expensive. It takes longer to get there than the taxi that's already sitting on the curb. You know, it's like, oh, I don't know. I think I agree. I've gone in a couple taxis recently. Yeah, I agree. And I guess we'll see what happens, but yeah. I, but. So those convos I had, that was the number one thing is just super easy to film. Even the newsletters, like they talked about, I met, I talked to the guy, the hustle in the morning brew Sam, yeah. and they, they do good. Mm -hmm. They did good, but there's still the issue there is they said, Hey, you got to get all these customers and then you got to acquire them cheaper and then you got to sell stuff on the back end. And so again, it just makes it a little bit harder. There's a lot more moving parts than, you know, like I saw, I thought Becker did such a great play where he's like, all right, all you markers and you're tracking i'll build it and he's done mm -hmm. and he sold it for 110 in two years i mean that's that's dope yeah and, and it's but the easy part is to be frank i've used them we don't talk to them anymore 
we got set up. We talked to them probably three, four months, and then we don't talk to them ever. And then they sent us a message. We're like, yeah, we don't need to talk to you because we know how to use it. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the beauty is if, you know, tech obviously is harder, but that's why people get so crazy for it because at the end of the day, the fulfillment is just negligible. So if yeah. you make something for a penny, sell it for a dollar, that's what I see over and yeah. over again. And Economies so, of scale. But you got to think yeah. harder because there's a lot of stuff you can do to create a lot of value, but then yeah. it's all this fulfillment. So totally. I think after Mosey's book, I don't know if you noticed this, but everyone started doing done for you shit. Mm-hmm. Like everyone. And it sounds good on paper, but then the issue is there's all this fulfillment on the back end and ap- operational costs. And so it's not as good as it sounds. Right, right. So I think that's I think that's how you have to think is what can I make that's super cheap and it's going to be hardly any fulfillment that people will still pay very high price for. And that's what makes it hard. Yeah, yeah. Those economies of scale, of scale are difficult, man, because like you have to have a lot of users and you have to build a product that's valuable to them. Product is hard, you know, yeah, especially, especially in tech. Because now, now it's like, this isn't 10, 15 years ago. You know, it's like there's already millions of apps, tons of software, so many SaaS companies. You know, if you're if you're going to build a product that people actually use in their consistent workflow, it has to be very good, has to be concise. It has to solve a clear problem yeah. and it has to be something that they're willing to come back to and use over well, and over again. And, and like that piece is a difficult thing to get to, especially if you're like me and you don't have any tech background. Well, and, and if you want them to switch. Yeah. That's totally. even right. harder because right. a lot of times they don't want to switch purely out of inconvenience. So we have a white labeled mm-hmm. version of go high level right now. Yeah. And it does great. I mean, we make great money. I love it because mm-hmm. the clients, you, you can add stuff in that add, you know, makes it a little better. So like go high level is just a software or like click is just software. It's like, Hey, like here's ours mm-hmm. plus all this other stuff that like, it doesn't mm-hmm. make sense for click funnels to go high level to do. Cause it's a small little micro niche. Gotcha. Yeah. But it's been interesting to just see we've had to put a lot of time and effort into migrations because they don't want to move. Oh, I don't want to fucking move all this shit. And yeah. they're like, we were really like, at this point, we'll just do it for you. No work because yeah. we know that once they get in, they're stuck. Right. And that's been very interesting to see. Uh, and I think that's what makes tech so good. But that's the hard part is like that. If they're using something to get them to switch is very difficult. Totally. Very hard. Yeah. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over one hundred and forty million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why indeed's matching engine 
is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need hire, you need Indeed. Uh, random question for you, bro. Sure. Kind of going a little bit more philosophical here. Have you been accused of being arrogant in the last five years? Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, I'm sure not to my face, but I'm sure behind my bad. I actually had, especially when I was younger, I think I don't know, man. Maybe I, I think especially with social media, it's tough. I think we all do it though. I, I think I see people on social media and I definitely get a conception. That guy's like dick. <laughs> yeah. Like you get you get this like, you know, preconception of how they are and then you meet in right. person. And it's usually not that way. And I just right. think the farther you're distance from people, you know, like you know this guy in person, you know this person from social media, then you know a friend of that person. You know, it gets you just kind of do that by nature. Yeah. I especially did when I was younger and I was like fitness modeling and stuff like that. But I, I don't know. I, I always just thought I was really confident and, yeah. and maybe the way it came off to people didn't know me was that way. That's more where the, the question's coming from yeah. is how to deal with the line between arrogance and confidence, because one of them is absolutely necessary and essential yeah. for success, for leadership, for yeah. getting married. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like you have to have confidence. However, arrogance can literally be the thing that brings you down. So, you know, how do you, how do, how do you think about those two or have you thought about those two? No, I have a lot. I, I think I'm going to quote him again. I, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this, but I, you know, Alex Ramosi said this, right. And I really liked it. And you said something, you don't build confidence by speaking affirmations in the mirror each day. You build a stack of undeniable proof that says you are who you say you are. And then it says outwork yourself. That. Mm. And so I think for me, I think it's how you come off first off. And, you know, for example, like Andrew Tate, like the way he comes off, it goes very viral. And the reason it goes viral is like you're creating controversial content, mm -hmm. which has been interesting for me because my stuff that goes the most viral is very like controversial. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, like you guys just watch the other stuff. It's just <laughs> as good, but it's not so controversial because it almost feels like you're trying. I almost feel like I'm trying to get people pissed off. Yeah. Well, that's the traditional media defined right, right there is that right which makes sense like, why yeah. the news does what it does absolutely it gets, it gets they this. have shareholders right they need clicks right they but create I, stuff that produces negativity that's how it works yeah but i think i think on the other end it's just you become who you say you are right like i think for me it was hey i wanted to be on varsity or soft a sophomore on varsity i did it then i want to play d1 football then i want to start a business then you know, I didn't finish engineering, but I would have. And I had a three nine. I remember I would go into classes. Oh, you're a football player. You won't make it. Like, you're like they actually thought I was in the wrong class. Like, you know, so you're not allowed to have muscle. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I think, I think it's just as you continue to do what you say you will do, that's where the confidence comes from in terms of other people, what they think, to be honest, it really bothered me at first, but after you've ran millions and millions of dollars of ads, you just don't care. And so to be frank, like you just realize that you're in your own little world and you think everyone's thinking about you. Yeah. But people just don't really give a shit. Yeah. They have their own problems. And so, yeah, I'll go places and people will recognize me like, Oh, Tanner, like especially gyms, like a lot, because I've worked with so many trainers and stuff, but 
I just think over time you just realize you don't get too high, you don't get too low, yeah. right? Like people tell you you're the shit, you're probably not. And then when people tell you you're the worst, you're probably not. And so, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just, I just think that for me, it was just, it's part time then it's part just becoming who you say you are. And then just try to treat people better. You know, so if you come off in a negative light, just take feedback and try to do better. But I, I try, I try to do my best. Right. Yeah, totally. It's, it's really easy to be in that <laughs> tribe of like, you know, fuck the haters. But also it's like, I don't want to on purpose give people room to speak negatively about who I am and what I'm trying to accomplish in the world. Like I still want to be mindful of how my, of like what people perceive me or who people perceive me to be. And I want to work on that as much as I can, you know, it, at the end of the day, you're never going to please anybody or never going to please everybody. So it doesn't, it, it's never going to, you're never going to get a hundred percent. But to me, it's like, you can't just have this, you know, overarching paint mentality of like, fuck anybody who doesn't agree with me because I'm right and prove me wrong type of a thing. It just, it feels like, um, it feels like you're just like looking for fights. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're, you're just looking to pick fights with people yeah. and that's where I stopped vibing with it. But at the same time, it is none of my business what other people think about me and which is, and it's also allowed me to have a little more empathy for people that I maybe didn't like at first when I first got introduced to their brand or something. And, uh, and I was just kind of like, why did I feel that way? Like what inside of me immediately judged that person? And it's usually because they're good at something I'm not good at or they have something that I don't have. Like if I dig deep enough into why I don't like them, there's probably because there's a piece of them that reflects something that I don't like about myself. Right. So like I try to keep that in mind, you know, so it's it's difficult to to, to kind of toe the line sometimes. I, I find that the guys I don't like, people will say, they've said that in the past, they said, because you like them. Yeah. And I and it, it really would piss me off. I'm like, I don't like him. Yeah. But I think, I think that's just, it's weird, but I think sometimes as human beings, we do that where we see a fault in someone and it's this fault that we don't like about ourselves. And yeah. so you see and you're like, I would never do that. And I've, I've done that before a hundred percent, but there's also, what's the saying? They say in your twenties, you think everyone's thinking, or like in your twenties, you care what everyone thinks in your forties. I don't remember what it is, but before you stop caring so much, and then you're, when you're 70, you're like, you realize they weren't talking about you at all. Yeah, right. right? Something, yeah. It's, it's something along those lines. But I think that's true too, because as you get older, at least me, at least now that I'm in my 30s, I really, I don't know, in your 20s, it, it doesn't hit as hard because you're pretty, you're young and I'm still young, but I just think, I'm like, man, dude, in the next nine years, half my life or more will be over. <laughs> and that's a crazy thought to think about. And so it just doesn't make sense to just worry about what people say or think about you all the time. Yeah. You really just need to focus on what it is you want to do and do your best and then let the chips fall where they fall. Yeah. I always try to look at just who is somebody's inner circle and what did they have to say about them it is typically a better tell to me. That actually like, is. Oh yeah, yeah. Like looking at their content, listening to their podcast. Yeah. Some of that's helpful. But at the end of the day, I still don't know them as a person yeah. if we're not homies or we haven't hung out or smoked a cigar together or something. So like, I go to who are the people that are closest to them in their life? How long have they been around? What do they have to say about them? And do they stick around? And like, if those are all good and on the up and up, then I'm like, yeah, probably a pretty good person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, maybe we disagree on some things, but that doesn't mean they're bad. You know, we just, we've gotten to this, this, this space in life where if people disagree, you know, everybody just goes like, oh, I hate well, I hate it. Well, you're just dumb or I, you're a moron. It's like, wait, what? No, Iris, Iris. It's not. I, I respect the people who stick by their guns. So, you know, people 
like Andrew Tate, right? He's the most well-known that people would understand, but I don't agree with everything he says, but what I love, and I've always respected this in anyone I've met, is when they just, like, they they're, they believe it. Yeah. They're like, this is how I think, mm-hmm. and I'm not changing for anyone. And there's just, there's some respect there that I have because at times it there's a lot of pressure to change. There's mm-hmm. a lot of pressure to especially. Oh, yeah. Especially, I mean, I can't even imagine if I was an actor, because even actors, they're paid, right? Mm-hmm. Athletes, you're, you're, you're an employee. Right. You're not really your boss, you're an yeah. employee. I mean, just having to watch everything I say or, or how I say it because I could get canceled or fired or right. something. So I respect, I respect, you know, like, for example, what he's going through right now, I kind of feel like he's, he's kind of caused some of it yeah. himself. And I, I guess I kind of respect him. Like, it is what it is. I mean, the guy believes what he says and he kind of lives it. So, I do respect those people. I don't know if you feel that way, but I definitely do. No, that's I, that's more or less, I've, you know, we've done a couple, you know, take videos or whatever on it. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's more or less where I am with him and or really any of those types of controversial people, whether it's left or the right. To me, it's very it's very similar. It's like right. if if you're somebody who who does what you say you're going to do and you're somebody that doesn't back down from your beliefs just because of some people that don't know you at all are pressuring you to do so. And the people in your life are your people and they stick close to you no matter what, you know, then like, I don't know, like I got to meet you to have another opinion about it to me. You know what I'm saying? Like I can't have this big of an opinion or this much hate for somebody based on just some stuff that's anecdotal or like a news headline or something like that, unless it's egregious, right? Unless it's like, we can all agree there's a base level of, like, hey, you're not allowed in society anymore, guy. Like, sorry, Bill Cosby. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's time. Right. It's, it's time to right. like put away the reruns of the Cosby Show. <laughs> like, we're good. We're good on this one. Right. Case closed. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like, you know, and I guess, I guess we'll see what happens with Tate. But it doesn't seem like anything that they have stuck with him. So like, yeah, if there's see. nothing indictable or nothing um, uh, that he's found guilty of, and it's kind of like the next step for me to have any sort of another opinion about him is to actually hang out with the guy. Because yeah. you just, you can't make, you can't form opinions on sound bites. You know? I agree. And, I agree. And I think, yeah, I think that's a mistake most people make. And I, I think it helps though when you're judged. I think being, absolutely. building a business helps because you automatically get judged. And so when you get unfairly judged, it helps you see the other side and go, Immediate and, and you don't, and you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to do it to someone else right. at all. Yeah, no, it definitely feels unfair when you're in those situations, for sure. I suppose, yeah, and they don't, or they don't have context, or they heard from this person. You know, it's like the telephone game: this person, right. this person, this person. I'm like, dude, that's like not true for right. at all. Like, <laughs> yeah. who told you? Yeah, where right? did you even get that from? Yeah, crazy. So, where do you think the uh, online marketing game is headed as a whole? Like, you know, there's been, I feel like these kind of transitions that have happened from when it started back in, you know, early 2000s, where yeah. it was just email was everything and you had like 70% open rates and then it just kind of transitioned to, oh, now we have Facebook ads. And it was like iOS 14 dropped a grenade on everybody running, running traffic and tracking was all messed up. And then it just switched to, oh, it's high ticket time because you know, you can recoup ad costs. Where do you think, where do you think we're headed in the next like three to five years where some of the trends you're seeing? Well, I don't know if you noticed this in your business, but we had, we had times where low ticket would work better and then high ticket would work better. And so sometimes we would go back and forth, Mm -hmm. you know, so just obviously front end lead generation, like going straight to it. At least in my opinion, what I'm seeing right now, it just seems like there's a lot of lack of trust. Like the trust is at all low, lack of trust is at all time Mm -hmm. high. And I think, unfortunately, that's just how it works is, you know, this game started back in the early 2000s before I even can remember. 
And, you know, a lot of the OGs are like, oh man, we were running, this is a wild west. And we were just doing yeah. all this stuff. And then the Google slap came. And then this stuff, you know, I started around 2017. It felt less competitive. It felt less people were there. Mm-hmm. I really felt kind of that two-year head start. People talk about in business. Oh, I really feel like I destroyed that. Like, I felt like I got in and I had that two-year head start before, you know, people start copying and mm. seeing what you're doing. But I just feel at least overall over the five years I've seen is right now trust is at an all-time low. So to combat that, I think people either are going to have to do more, you know, kind of biz op offers. And biz op to me is how to make an extra 300 bucks, you know, doing nothing, right? Because that's what most people want. Or there's just got to be more tangible stuff involved. <laughs> because at least like mastermind offers, they're losing their luster in my opinion where people are, yeah, I've heard this before. I did a couple of masterminds. It was BS, et cetera. Yeah. So adding in something a little tangible where it will help run your ads or you will do all your copy or we'll give you a couple of set or whatever. That's why you're seeing that offer right now. Sure. I, I mean, I've seen that offer. A dozen times in the last So yeah. at least in this space, that's what I've seen. Obviously it can depend on the offer in the industry, but it just seems like trust is a lot lower across the board. Hmm. And so there's just, it's taking a lot more effort to get people to come in versus maybe a couple of years ago. That's what I'm saying. So if you're starting a business coaching business from scratch right now, what are the first steps you're taking? Like kind of thinking about it in terms of offer price point. Range, yeah. I mean, lead gen. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would do a lot of the same stuff. Like if I, if I lost everything today and I had to go back and redo it, I would do a lot of the same stuff because when you don't have money, your options are limited period. Yeah. And I just started reaching out to people and I was DMing, I don't know, hundreds a day and I would get, you know, 30% would respond. I'd book a bunch of calls. I'd close them. I think like just random DMs on Facebook or mostly Instagram. Instagram. You can do either, but I really liked Instagram. I just feel Facebook, you know, people kind of see it coming more. Instagram, they don't have like groups. So to find people, I don't think people get it as much. When you go on Facebook groups, you know, it's like, oh, there's all the hell on the list and everyone's doing it. So I think it's a lot less effective. But I would I would start doing that. In ter- I, I think the biggest thing I would focus on, though, is the offer. And what I've seen from different friends and people I've spoken to, the craziest offer I've seen that is in the internet marketing space where they're doing, they're doing over eight a month. And I can't say who it is and all that stuff, so I'm not going yeah. to. But the offer is very biz right? It's very like for the average person, which means they can push the ads really far. It can go super wide. Um, the fulfillment's pretty easy, which, right, again, it's like, and their promise is low. That's the other thing is like a lower promise because, you know, even me, like people who want to work with us and start a business, I can't be like, hey, how to make an extra, you know, 5,000 a month. Like they're like, I don't give a shit, right? So that's why it's almost like these promises get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But if you can actually go to someone and say, hey, like we'll help you make an extra $400 a month. <laughs> Not only is it more believable, but it's easier to fulfill, right? Yeah. And then you can go broader to those types of people. So that I, I didn't like, that's what I would do on like a, strategic level okay. it, it, differently in terms of like, I can break down stuff if you want. I don't know if the viewers or listeners will want that, but I mean, it really, I just DM people. I got on a call. I close them. Yeah. And what you say and how you say it would probably be a two or three podcasts, but the actual str- like strategy, it's fairly simple because it was like door to door sales. I did door to door and I was like, Oh, this is easier because yeah. I can do more volume and I sit in my bed. Yeah. yeah, I did. I loved it. I mean, prepared to door to door. It was cake. <laughs> yeah. That's a fair point. Yeah. yeah. That's a fair point. I did door to door for like, Five years, six years, bro. It'll it'll like make four you, different products. Yeah, you'll you'll be a man after door to door. Door to door <laughs> is not for the faint of heart. Yeah, it yeah. it it certainly puts every other action into perspective. Yeah, because like now I look at everything I do as like a yeah, but I could be knocking doors right now. So and we're in Vegas. And <laughs> so and it was just I what I mean. Did you sell security ever? Yeah, for like a year and a half. Security yeah. 
to me was so hard because you had to get in the house. I did solar, I did alarms, I did water purification, and then um, um, did satellite TV for a little bit. Um, the only major one I didn't do was pest. Um, yeah, and pest, pest, at least what I've heard, is one of the easier ones because you can stay outside. It's a volume play. Yeah, your commissions are smaller, but you don't have to get in the house. You can sell on the doorstep right. and you can knock out like 12 accounts in a day. Right. Alarms is one of those. It, it was, I tell people like alarms was like the coldest form of sales I ever did because it happened immediately and you had to gain trust immediately. But you so had to like get with, in the house. With solar water purification, we'd set up an appointment and come yeah. back, you know, because yeah. we got to do, we got to look at your roof. We got to check this out. We got to yeah, get yeah. these CADs designed. We got, you know, we got, we got shit to do when we're coming back with alarm. Yeah. You're just like, knock, knock. Can I come in? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. and then an hour later, you're signing a contract. And then before you're leaving the house, like you're high-fiving the installer yeah. on the way out. I mean, throwing that shit in before their head yeah. hits the pillow. I, I actually, you know? when I did alarms, I don't know what your strategy was, but I actually did. It was a slight, it was, it was a little bit of a bait and switch where yeah. I like, we would put signs in the yard and I'd be like, oh yeah. Like, did you know having this sign, like lower crime rate, like et cetera? Like, pitch, yeah, right? yeah. And I'd be like, yeah. So the marketing like, pitch. Yeah. So what I'll do is like, I just need to get your info real quick. Just let me sit down. And then once I was in, I'm like, cool, I got your info. And then I'll kind of transition. Mm -hmm. And it actually worked pretty well. What was your get in the door line? Was that just let me sit down? And it kind of was, yeah. Because okay. basically, basically, I'd go up and I say, "Hey, you know, it's really sorry to bother you. We're just going around the area because there's, you know, been more crime on TV lately in the area, and they're, you know, I'm like doing all the visual stuff. Yep. So like, yeah. And uh, so I say, so look, uh, sorry, to, I'm not here to bother you. We're just putting some signs on the yard. They're completely free. FBI says it's, you know, 60% less likely to get broken into, which is true. And I, and I say, would you be open to getting a sign? And as soon as they're like, yes, Mike, cool. I just need to get a quick info. Can I sit down real quick? I would just start walking. Like, yeah. I'm just going right in the door. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the first few times it was rough, but after you did it for a couple of months, I mean, it just, the just felt bro. so natural. It's the confidence, you know? Yeah, it just People felt don't so, say no. Yeah, it just felt natural. But the the crazy thing to me was just, fighting you had two types of people you'd either go to very poor areas where there's a lot of crime but they didn't have a lot of money mm -hmm. or you go to very affluent areas where they had a ton of money but it wasn't a lot of crime and man i would be back and forth on who i wanted to talk to that day because these people like give you a drink of water they let you in the house but they're like yeah like i don't care they're sophisticated buyers they, exactly they're for and then here it was like almost easier to convince them but then you know, yeah, but I don't, I don't credit though. Yeah, they're like, yeah, but I, I don't, I don't want this. I'm five sixteen. Yeah, okay, or like, right. I don't want to give up my cigarettes. All right, I'm like, bro, come <laughs> on. Uh, but it was a great learning experience because everything after that was super easy. The best neighborhoods we picked were always it was the worst possible neighborhood that we would get that we could find that would still pass credit. That was always right. like that was what we were searching for. Is like where's like the worst neighborhoods where it's not so bad that nobody in there has a decent yeah, credit score. I, and then we go pick the ones with manicured lawns and be like, that one probably has a better, like a I, better credit score. I have one day where I almost cussed out my manager because I ran 28 credits and I think 26 failed. Yeah. And I'm like, bro, I, the whole day, I, <laughs> and like, and you're getting in the houses. So yeah. I'm like, bro, I did. doing the hard work. Uh, yeah, you know. there's no, what can you, I can't do anything. Yeah. No one, they can't even buy, right? Yeah. And so I would just get in the house and after a while I was just like, yeah, and then exactly. they didn't know why my mood changed. I'm like, because you're a freaking e-credit. Yeah, yeah. E. You know? And for everyone listening, there's A through F, and you can only yeah. sell usually C, like A, B, or C. So Yeah, when you call in, they're so like, bad, uh, yeah, this is a D, there's an F. And it's like, oh, damn it. All the hard work, I just pitched them. I got them to oh, say yeah. yes. Now I'm on the phone. Yeah. yeah, I would try. And that was something that you learned, too, though, is trying to get that info quick. Yeah. You know, I get it. Oh, yeah, let me just verify real quick, because... I ended up wasting all the time um, sometimes where you'd go through a whole pitch like you just said. Yeah. I don't even buy. 
Yeah, the the line that the line that I would use at the door to get in was, "Do you want me to take my shoes off?" Because oh, nice. however yeah. you answer, I'm coming inside. Right? They're so like, like, no. Oh, they're like, yeah. no. Like, okay. Yeah. No. Uh, yes. Don't okay. take your shoes off, and I walk in. Yes. Okay. I take my shoes off, and I walk in. You know what I mean? I actually love that. So, that is, that's actually pretty. Yeah. We. That was the. That was the that. line, bro. That was the line we used to use. We would go to crime neighborhoods that like recently had a break in, and we'd like show them on the point. Like, yeah, this house right here just got broken into. We're here. We have this like you know this uh, this grand local company put together where we give you you know equipment. So we'd like sh- I'd show them like a little bit at the door, and then be like, I just need two quick seconds to kind of walk you through the rest yeah. of the house, see how it works. So I'm gonna take my shoes off, and then boom, in the house. Did you when you first started? Did it shock you at how some of the homes looked? Yeah, I I remember the totally. first time I got dropped off. I had no idea what I got into. I I couldn't. I didn't realize people lived in these <laughs> yeah. homes. Like it actually, I actually sat there and went. Man, people live in these things because these homes they mustn't cost less than like I'm talking less than fifty. Yeah, like you drop me off in Haiti. Like where are we? Right like now? at least yeah. And so I and I remember hearing gunshots and stuff. And then two months in, I'm like, cops will come up, dude. Do you know? Is. Do you know where you yeah. are? I'm like, oh, I know exactly where I am. I, I'm meant to be here. You know, it, it just I actually researched this place. Yeah. It, it was so scary the first day I did it. I remember feeling that way. And then, you know, it, it gets, yeah. you know, it's your normal environment. You get used to it. But I remember the first time I got dropped off, I was scared shit. Did, did you, uh, I, of course, I grew up in uh, Lancaster, California, okay. which is like, it's like Northern LA County yeah. where, where basically when they flush the prisons and incentivize them to go somewhere, they say, hey, go to Lancaster, Palmdale. Because it's still in L.A. County, but yeah. it's significantly cheaper than L.A. Right. So that's where like commuters live and where people that can't afford to live in L.A. live right. Right. Um, when they get kicked out of the prison. So that was kind of where I grew up. So I was pretty used to those types of neighborhoods. Okay. But what shocked me was just that like the stuff worked, you know, because this was my first introduction to sales was doing door to door. I was just like, I, I when I would get into people's houses at first, it's like you just let me into your home. Like I'm just a dude that just not. Yeah, well, and, and into like your, psychology strong. You know? I think to your point though, it's also the sophistication, right? So the more sophisticated or more fluent the area, it would get tougher because for they're, sure. they're like, bro, hey, hey, we we can like, use wait, this alarm for this. He's like, yeah, I can literally call them on on the <laughs> cell number. It's fine, man. Yeah. So I think to your point, it was kind of the same thing. We're usually the lower income areas was it was kind of easier to convince them yep versus the more affluent areas and you know i found that all the time for sure it was counterintuitive because like your brain goes well we got to go find the people with money it's like well we don't make money on money we make money on financing yeah so like we go find the people that want to pay monthly payments yep. you know which is what makes solar such a powerful game and i dude i still kick myself in the ass for not seeing the opportunity in front of me because i was knocking solar back in like 2012 which yeah, nobody was doing it back then. Oh. There was like two, three players in the game. This is before Vivint did so. Actually, I think Vivint was making the transition into solar at the time right. from just doing alarms. But I just, I, I was a college kid. I was going to school for ministry actually and thought that's what I was going to do with the rest of my life. So I was just like, oh, this is extra money. Cool. And then when I, uh, when I figured out I wasn't going to ministry, I was still selling solar. I switched to alarms because at the time the industry was so young and ripe that like they were paying just crap commissions compared to what they get paid now. So I would get paid like, a thousand, twelve hundred bucks on a deal selling solar on a six week, eight week install time with 50% commission, 50% commission. And I was like, oh, or I can throw an alarm, make 800 bucks, install tonight and be paid next week. Like that seemed like a way better deal. But I just didn't realize what was in front of me. I did not, I did not understand the nature of the solar game at all. Cause if I did, I would have been like, holy shit, I can knock a door and make $8,000 on a solar deal. Like 
because these people these yeah, are just, hours yeah just estate. longer just the only thing with this is just the longer sales cycle longer sales cycle longer yeah. sales it's cycle. like real estate it's just a real estate sales cycle but now even now though like a lot of municipalities and local governments are like all about solar so they help you in terms yeah, of like the permitting true. process like true. it's faster you get paid eight times more money than I got paid yeah. at the time. But uh, I still kicked myself for that too because I was like, oh, I could have made so much money in solar had I just even like thought about something besides my stupid commission check, you know? Yeah. But well, anyway, dude, I know we're coming close on time. I, I want to chat a little bit more about kind of your life philosophy now. Sounds like we similar upbringings in terms of I grew up also extremely religious. I went to Bible college. I thought that was what I was going to be doing. It sounds like you grew up religious, kind of moved away from it, went a little bit back, back and forth and stuff without getting too far into it. If you don't want to, what's your kind of philosophy or take on, you know, why we're even here to begin with and you know, what all this is for. So when I hit my first million dollar month, that was when I was really going through this because that had been my goal since I started business. And when I hit that, I just felt that was the apex of business, right? I was like a million a month, right? And so I started going to like a lot of therapy and I started talking to people. And again, this is just me. So not to offend anyone, but I really, you know, I I just felt a lot of times when I'd ask people, I wasn't really getting answers. And and maybe the problem was I was hoping they would answer for me. But I think reality is that, you know, there is no like answer per se. There's no one out there to tell you with a hundred percent certainty what is true and what isn't true. So for me, the nihilist approach has been a little bit more helpful. You know, it's it's a balance because basically nihilists say, you know, nothing matters, so it doesn't really matter what we do. And I agree to that to a certain point. At the same time, you know, it can get pretty, it can go pretty far, right? Sure. Then your family doesn't matter and then this person doesn't matter. Right. So I just think for me, what's been the most helpful is, I'll be honest, like, I don't, I don't necessarily know. I do think, at least in my opinion, I think it's a little crazy to think that, you know, all this just happened from a big bang theory that I don't know if I really roll with that. I think someone created this, but in terms of answering deeper questions, I've stopped for now because it almost, it almost frustrated me where, you know, where people will say, Hey, I'm not happy. And a nihilist would say, well, why does that matter? And I actually like that question better versus you're creating this deficit. And if you don't feel a certain way, then you're constantly trying to like, what's the problem? What's the problem? And so whether there's a problem or not doesn't really matter to me. The thing that I think is most helpful is like, hey, I don't feel good today. And instead of pondering and pondering and pondering, trying to figure out, I'm just like, hey, I don't feel good today. It's all good. This is life. It's up and down. You'll feel better tomorrow. And then just move with my day. Mm -hmm. That has been more helpful for me personally. I know not everyone, but for me, that's more helpful than sitting and trying to figure every little thing out. Because sometimes I just don't know if there's, I just don't know if there's an answer for everything. Yes, no, I agree. I, I tend to agree with that almost completely there there's just not much yet you don't have control over everything and i think happiness is ultimately it's a fleeting feeling that exists it's an it's an it's an emotion that we feel and there's just zero way to have complete control over your emotions all the time that's why we're emotions we're we're, we're meant to experience them all on a spectrum at any given time so to think that you're only going to experience happiness and then when you don't fault yourself for not experiencing happiness and start tearing yourself down and you get into this spiraling mode of beating yourself up, which isn't going to make you happy anyway. Just like, I I just think that there's more worthy things to pursue than happiness itself. And I would say meaning is one of them is like meaning is a more worthy pursuit than happiness, which I think there's, there's some evidence for, 
and then I was listening to this, uh, forget his name. He was the founder, the, the father of positive psychology. And he was saying that mattering is even more important than meaning, than, than meaning is because mattering can actually measure up to something like you, you matter to like the people around you, to relationships, mm -hmm. to, to, you know, an organization functioning, like mattering is even more important than meaning. So I kind of like built that hierarchy in my mind a little bit ago, which has been somewhat helpful for me as I try to work through them. And like you said, deal with changing emotions on a daily basis. Now I got two small kids. My wife works. I have a couple businesses. Like things are hectic right now. It's it's strange time, you know? So it's been helpful for me in just like kind of the way that uh, Hermosi puts in his book uh, about or market is greater than offer is greater than persuasion ability. In my head now, I kind of have it as that is like mattering is greater than meaning is greater than happiness. And I think I like that, that that's a, a better, a better like frame to, to view it in because I have more control over whether I matter or not, because it becomes a game of like, how do I become a more valuable human being? And I have more control over whether or not I'm a valuable human being because I can work on my skills yeah. and I can work on my connections. I can, I can, there's things that I can add to that rather than there's this like arbitrary moving target of like throwing a dart at a constantly moving dartboard and hoping you hit something and calling it happiness, you know? Yeah, I think there's also just power in, you know, deciding when people say, well, what matters? I think just deciding what matters to you. Yeah. Because it is interesting just hearing as you start looking down the path of this type of stuff, people say, well, you know, this ruler, you know, 3000 years ago had 800 wives and you know, ruled from here to here and, and you don't know who he is. And that, that actually was probably what really scared me when I hit the billion dollar month, because I remember I was looking out over Miami and I'm in this ridiculously sick penthouse and the view is ridiculous. And I'm just thinking, man, like Mark Zuckerberg has done this and you know, Bill Gates has done this and Elon's done this. And, you know, still in the grand scheme, it's like in the world, they're small. Yeah. And that, I think that thought was so deflating for me because I go, man, if they're small, then obviously I'm even, yeah, right. who am I? And so I think it's just really figuring out what brings you happiness and fulfillment and what kind of gives you that own to life. Yeah. And then you just attack it and, and you know, deep down, Hey, it doesn't really matter, but it matters to me. Hmm. And that has been a more helpful thought than, you know, trying to go through life. Like, Hey, if I do this, it's going to matter. Like even charity work, it's been hard for me sometimes because I go, man, like I'm only helping these few kids. Yeah. Yeah. And when they die, there's going to be more of these kids and it's like, it never ends. And mm -hmm. it sometimes it just feels a little, it feels a little hopeless if you go down that hole. And so I think the way you stay out of it is you just go, look, you know, a lot of what you do probably won't have a significant like impact in the grand scheme of the world or whatever. But if it matters to you and it matters like to those kids, then it is important. Hmm. So I wish there's a better answer, but I'll be honest with you. It's, it's, it's a whole, it's a thing that it was hard for me for a long time. Well, closing this up, dude, one last question for you. Uh, I'd like to throw this in the works sometimes with people. If you could create a video that you knew was going to go viral and everybody in the world would see the message in the video, what message would you want in that viral video? I just think be kind. It, it, it's it's kind of sad to me that the reason I'm successful is because people are mean to me. <laughs> and I'm grateful in hindsight, right? Like it's it's the way of the world. But man, I was like a nice kid. You know, and I, I remember my parents just raised me really well and just be respectful and nice to people. And that was very hard for me as a child to just have people be mean to me. And I didn't even know why. Yeah. And everyone's going through their own battles. 
everyone's going through their own battles. And sometimes I've actually found out after the fact that maybe I wasn't very nice to someone or I said something, you know, maybe I was a little rough where I said it, you know, just whatever. And then I find out they're going through something really terrible. And I just think if everyone could just be kind and, and like try to help each other, it's kind of that message Gary Vee sends. Yeah. It's a good message. It's a good message because we're all going through stuff and social media exacerbates it. I think I'm really glad it came about because it's how I built my whole life. But before social media, if people were on social media, I don't think you have as many problems as you do now. You know, you only married Sally or Jill down the street. You didn't have 800 million girls on Instagram you could choose from. You didn't have people saying mean stuff to you. You didn't have this kind of keeping up with the Joneses as much as you did. And so all that can kind of make someone already feel like they're not good enough. And then you exacerbate that with people being mean to you. It's like, just be nice. And um, so that would be the message. You know, that would be the message. Love it, dude. Hey, thanks for coming on, man. I know we talked yeah. about a lot of different stuff, but I appreciate you taking the time. Get you out to the next spot. Where yeah, headed, so. thanks for having me, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks so much. All right, brother. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode.